Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. This is episode 110-110. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited about this episode. I am such a big fan of this DJ producer slash label head, such event coordinator. I've had the pleasure of actually meeting him in person and DJing at one of his events in New York City, so I'm pumped for you guys to hear his story. He goes by the name of Francis Mercy. This Haitian sensation is a DJ producer like none other. Like I said, I actually have been out to New York and DJed on one of his boat parties, and it was just awesome to see how this guy has built up such a great brand, not only behind his own moniker, Francis Mercier, but also this entire record label and event company that he calls Deep Root. Now this interview guys, we talked a lot about his record label, like I said, Deep Root Records and Deep Root Underground. We also talked about his musical inspirations and influences and also his new underground moniker called Emva Faya. So that was really awesome to hear it from Francis directly on this direction he wanted to take with his music. We also talked about his plans for the future and he has so many great stories that he shared as well. Like I said, this is one of my favorite DJ producers in the game, but he is so much more than that and I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear his full story. So without further ado, let's get into it right now. Episode 110 with Francis Mercier. Well, it's a pleasure to uh, see you, sir. I've got a drink here. I don't know if you do, but cheers. Uh, no, I don't have a drink, but big ups, man. Okay, there we go. <laughs> well, I've been locked in quarantine, man. There's not a lot else to do here in Chicago right now, right? Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, how's it been in uh, New York? Uh, similar situation. I mean, uh, everybody's like, you know, confined in their respective homes, neighborhoods, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, across across uh, the whole town. It's it's much more quiet these days. And, yeah, you know, people are... We have to do our best, you know, to to, to try and fight the, the situation. Yeah, absolutely. What part of New York do you live in? I'm in Queens. You're in Queens. Yeah, actually, Queens strong. So about uh, 20 minutes out from the city. It's there great you. because it gives me, like... Uh, a sense of separation and I'm not like in the whole middle of the hassle and, and energy. Yeah. Of course. So what happens is, you know, I get to have like access to nature mm-hmm. running. Yes. I can play my soccer. It's not like too congested. There's yeah. not too much, too much entertainment. So it gives me a good opportunity to stay focused in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's tough to have that balance, of course, in New York City, but Queens is definitely a spot for that with all the parks and everything. Yeah, I mean, also Brooklyn is good, but, you know, Manhattan is just, it's too hectic, man. Left, you go outside, it's a party. You yeah. turn left, it's a guy. <laughs> like, some guy screaming in the streets, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you turn right, it's a riot, it's a protest. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, so. Yeah, that's you know, right. you know, yeah, it's, uh, and not to mention, there are bars left and right, people so 
I've, I've experienced that, you know, over the years. Um, I stayed in the city for some time, but I, I think that as a musician, you know, to be able to be focused in my career, it's better to be a little bit away from the center. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that kind of brings me to my first question. You know, I, I know you're Haitian. Were you born in Haiti? And when did you come to New York if that was your first landing spot? Yeah, I was born in New York. Then I moved back to Haiti at like okay. the age of one or two. Uh-huh. Um, I I, uh, I grew up there up until 18. Mm-hmm. I, I went to uh, an international uh, high school, so which gave me like a really nice perspective and like world culture. And, uh, yeah, I had like a lot of friends from Africa, from Europe, South America, all over. Um, you know, and all of them, they, they gave me a little bit of inspiration. I would say, you know, growing up and being exposed to, I had this friend from Ethiopia. He yeah. was like a huge fan of like reggae and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I had this other friend from South America. He would bring that element. And obviously, you know, Haiti being like a, a very mixed kind of island. Yeah. With, you know, so, so so much culture, not only from the Haitian people, but also so many influences worldwide. Because mm-hmm. you have to think the island is, is heavily influenced by the U.S., mm-hmm. by uh, the French culture. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot so you know that kind of you know uh growing up in that environment i think contributed to where i am today absolutely i I can certainly imagine that it's interesting you were born in new york came back and then you went right back did you ever think about going to live anywhere else in the u.s yeah actually prior to moving to to new york um i uh i I went to providence that's why i went i I did my studies i studied yeah yeah in rhode island so i spent like about six years over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even when I was studying over there, like literally every weekend, I would come to New York. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like everybody <laughs> in Connecticut and Rhode Island, right? <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, it, I did that, but I kind of regret it because mm-hmm. it's kind of a tricky situation. I did it and I was like, man, it was great when it was happening, but looking back at it, I feel like I, I was spoiled too early. So <laughs> when, you know, the other college kids were like going to like local bars in Providence, I was like, man, I, I'm going out to like the top clubs in the city. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so it was very difficult to like appreciate um, my college, you know, years and to be able to hang out with fellow students and whatnot. Right. So the most of the time I was kind of distanced in that sense. Yeah, I understand. Man. Obviously, a positive side. This is the reason why I, I'm in golf and, you know, the nightlife scene in New York. And mm-hmm. that's why I can call New York my home, because I've been frequenting the city for 14 years. You know, yeah. you know, like between the time when I was in college, going back and forth. And after college, I moved here. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, it's it's a it's a love and hate situation. Right. Yeah, of course. It seems like you kind of had the bug, though, when you came back to the U.S. What was it like growing up in Haiti from a, a musical inspiration perspective? Was it in the house? When did you get into electronic music? What was that timeline like? Actually, to be honest with you, it all came from friends and, and more, yeah. more so from from the diversity in the country. Right. So everybody had like their own oh, I, I like this kind of music. Then this other kid's like, oh, listen to this, man. <laughs> there was this French kid and they were like, yo, man, this music from France, like this guy called Bob Sinclair. Oh. At that time, he had this track called Love Generation. 
Yeah, of course. And everybody's like, oh man, listen to this, this like this track that had like this crazy melody, you know, Love Generation. That's yeah, a massive record. Yeah. And people, you know, my friends were playing it, and I was like, man, this is like really interesting. And there was this other group of kids that were exposed to, you know, the American culture, and they used to go to like Miami because it's so close to Haiti. Mm-hmm. And back then, the clubbing scene in Miami, the trance was really huge over there. Yeah. So these guys, they came with like this this whole thing, like Tiesto in search of sunrise. Yeah. This was the early days of Tiesto, and they were like, "Oh my God, this this music is like so emo, and it makes you feel things." And I was like, <laughs> and it and it caught my attention, man. Yeah. I mean, at first, obviously, growing up, I was really into the hip hop of yeah. the of the of the US because yeah. that's what I was exposed to. Yeah. Obviously, Haitian music, but you know, everywhere you looked on media back there, you have like a huge American influence. Yeah. So I was like really, I was a big fan of like the the early 2000s era. So yeah. the 50 Cent, the, the Ludacris, Same. the Rough Riders, those guys were like, you know. Yeah. They were yeah. killing it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what I was, I was like passionate about this kind of music. Mm-hmm. But when I got introduced to the electronic side of things, it was so different. I heard it and I'm like, man, this is like kind of <laughs> interesting. And I and I got into it, man. I started listening to, but it was a slow switch. It first started with the Postal Service. Nice. Right? Which is like a cool laid back band. Indie dance, yeah. Yeah, indie dance. Then afterwards, uh, this In Search of Sunrise, more trans stuff. Mm-hmm. And then came the Love Generation. And from there my interest in music was like, you know, it, it, it was always present that I can tell you. Right. It was always present. I, you know, I, I had, I had a piano at home. I never, I, nobody taught me how to play the instrument, mm-hmm. tried to play a couple of times on my own. And it was always like, <laughs> Oh my God, two notes can sound together, like sound good. And it was so yeah. great. Yeah. Right. So I tried playing and it was so, so, something so interesting, but I would say that, uh, my, uh, real appreciation for the music came and like around when I was 16, probably. Yeah. Awesome. Towards the end of, of high school, right before yeah. college. So you did have some electronic inspiration there just in terms yeah. of starting to enjoy the music. When did you, when did you start DJing and producing and which one came first? DJing always came first because yeah. producing back then, um, early 2000 was like, uh, a luxury, right? Yeah, yeah. To have access to a studio, let alone a computer that's strong enough to produce. Right. God bless me. And people were like, well, if you want to <laughs> produce, you need like a lot of cash to go somewhere. Yeah. Right? Even yeah. to get a copy of, of, of Logic, people are like underestimate, you know, how lucky kids are today, right? Yeah. Because back then, you know, to get, it was something so like, complex wow oh my god software to make music wow yeah <laughs> nowadays you know everybody has a copy man you could get like a copy for 200 bucks of ableton and every computer every person who has a computer their computer is respectively strong enough yeah. to process that you know so yeah for me it was like the most logical and accessible thing musically was to be a dj right so yeah. I, I got into the art of djing um, very early, I was probably 
2018, mm-hmm. like my first freshman year. Um, once again, it was like the 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 art itself and the electronic music was so big in the U.S. It's I mean it was that big in the U.S. but it was starting to gain traction. Right. Especially in New York, there was a uh, you know made events which is still present now. Mm-hmm. Back then, they were like doing these huge parties with Armin van Buren mm-hmm. and Tiesto and whatnot. And I used to see these guys, and I was like, man, these guys are like living their dream. <laughs> yeah, these, these guys on the stage, and all these people have their hands up, like right, right. I'm like, I want to be that guy. So yeah. I was like, I got into the music, I, obviously as a fan first, and I'm like, what are they doing? Like teaching? Right. I did all this research. Yeah, to it, I, I, you know. It was it was a very easy transition mm-hmm. as a fan and appreciating so many different cultures it kind of made sense i have this love for all this kind of music i love i listen to it all the time i'm passionate about it and it, it was first like a, like a hobby i learned you know everything about djing like i it was self-taught you know for the first uh I was able to catch everything pretty easily with YouTube and watching things and whatnot. Right. And, uh, you know, after knowing a few things, probably I was a, a proficient DJ. Mm-hmm. I was able to land a, co- a couple of gigs as in, uh, in in university for a frat, for fr- fraternities. Okay. How old were you then? I was like 19, man. I wasn't even of age. So I was walking around with a fake ID. Yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> rolling in with his headphones, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I have a long history of going out though. Since since fourteen, right. I you know it was like the 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 age where back in the early two thousand, nobody really cared as long as you had like piece of paper with your picture and some sort of date. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. They let you in. So yeah, I, and also growing up in Haiti, this is like similar to Europe. You know, at the age of sixteen, you're allowed to drink and go out and do whatever. Right. There's no real restriction. So yeah, so you know, early age nineteen, I was able to uh, land my first gigs, uh, and they were they were quite awesome, man. I played like some amazing, uh, and it, it was well paid, believe me or not. Wow! So I was like able to purchase some good gear mm-hmm. after the first couple of gigs because you know obviously the first couple of gigs I did them with like a controller. Yeah, right. And I upgraded. I got actual decks and everything like a nice mixer yeah so it, it went really fast that's awesome that's 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 a very similar story to me it's like i i love the music i went to a few shows and i was like what are these guys doing i want to know what's going on here and i was like i want to put my own spin on it right and then you get your own decks and you get your hands on them and it's like whoa this is a whole new world right yeah it was insane but you know all i know i, I can say that the, it, you know, people were uh, in Providence. It wasn't that popular. There weren't many DJs. There were maybe like one or two on campus. I was like the third guy who knew how to DJ. I mean, electronic music, right? Right. It was very easy to to land gigs, and from there, you know, I I did my own my own shows. I organized my own little parties on campus, and it was really pretty, pretty successful. Yeah, I. Uh, it came, it came really naturally because I, 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 uh, I was able to approach some some uh, owners of venues and 
they're fairly receptive, you know. It's yeah. pretty simple. College kids like, hey, I'm going to have all my friends come. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Take over the room, do whatever you want. I <laughs> have like a, a party on Thursdays. Right. It was called Electro Thursdays. This was Electric like, Thursdays. What, what was your DJ name then? Was it the same? Um, yeah, it was the same. Just always, always stuck with DJ Francis Mercier. It was DJ back then. <laughs> That's when you had to tell people that you're a DJ, right? Yeah, exactly. And now it's like, you don't say that. Yeah, and I even had like little mixtapes, you know, I printed these CDs. Wow. And I, and I you know, went to the library and like print a bunch of copies of mm-hmm. song, of covers with my picture. Back in the day, man. And I was hustling, man. People were like, oh, man, let me get a copy. Right. And at, at that time, you know, the Facebook was huge. So, yeah. like, everybody was, was on Facebook. If you were like, you know, I'm throwing a party, there's an event, everybody's like, oh, my God, let's click attending. Yeah. And you would have, like, you know, I don't know, man, 100 people show up. You don't even know who they are, right? Pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Back in, the, back in college, back in the day. That's how it was. Of course. That's awesome that it started from from a true passion, right? It's not like you got a lucky break in the beginning. And it's interesting, you threw the own parties, and we'll get to it later, but now you're on a much grander scale of yeah. a similar foundation, right? So, man, that's that's awesome. Great story. When when did, like, production come into play then? When you got down to New York City? When the Yeah, much was- later. After I, gr- I mean, you know, when I was in college, I tried to take a couple production classes. Yeah. You know, I did my best, but ultimately, it was it was I, I wasn't equipped, right? My my uh, my laptop, you know, at that time, it was made for Word and Excel, <laughs> not <laughs> music production. So, yeah, right, I agree. So, you know, I did my best. I, I took like a music foundation class. It was according there was like some coverage of electronic music. Yeah, but nothing relevant enough to say you're, you can become a producer per se, right? Right. So it, it did give like understanding of like time signature, you know, music yeah. music theory, just b- really basic things. Right. But it, it was sufficient to, you know, spark some, some sort of interest further into music production. But, you know, I, I had to focus on, on my studies. So I, I had to stay grounded and I uh, studied mathematics and econ. So it took quite some energy. Wow. And after completing, yeah, after completing my studies, I moved to New York. Um, and when living in New York, I wanted to further develop. I mean, even when I was in college, I further developed my uh, my my profile as a DJ here in New York. Mm-hmm. And I would say two to three years of playing a bunch of gigs, you know, I, I, I really wanted to evolve from just being a regular DJ and trying to be able to compose my own records and kind of take it to the next level right i went to dubspot to really that's where i really was able to develop myself as a as a, as a producer mm-hmm. are you familiar with dubspot i've heard of it before is it like an icon collective or what is it something similar but yeah. it was like the first institution that offered uh these kind of educational programs nice for um music production so that's where i learned yeah i learned everything about ableton there wow and you know i just stuck with it man and were you djing at the same time too were you working a full-time job like what was your life no no, no, actually i'll tell you while i was in college yeah finishing my studies 
Yeah. I explained to you that I had some knowledge of organizing shows on campus, right? Right. So I took that same concept and I brought it to New York. So yeah. I would organize my own shows while in college. Wow. And that's what kind of allowed me to sustain myself mm -hmm. as a student and living in the U.S. Yeah. I used to throw my own shows literally like every weekend. So I would travel back and forth between Providence and New York. Obviously, I had some family in New York, so it was okay for me to reside here. Mm -hmm. But um, I knew the circuit. So I was... I had like a like a whole event planning company, so I used to do that while in college. So yeah. after graduating, it, it made sense to continue. You know, I was offered a couple of jobs, corporate opportunities, but didn't really make sense for me. Um, and I, I just stuck with it with the with performing, organizing my own shows, and it made sense. But not until five years into it. Did I really want to separate myself from um, organizing shows just for lucrative reasons? Yeah. More so focused on musical content that actually I wanted to identify myself with. And it wasn't easy. Yeah. Because, you know, the the a lot of venues, they, they really want this kind of open format. Right. This kind of hip hop music and whatnot. Right. So um, it took some time to be able to develop enough strength and... Um, dedication to just say no yeah say no that's not easy man <laughs> no i know i i it's a similar story here man and it's funny you said that because sometimes you gotta go down the wrong path to know it's the wrong path right like yeah you went to school you did mathematics and you got job offers and you're like that's not what i want to do actually right but without actually maybe trying it you wouldn't have known that music and event marketing and promotion and hosting wouldn't have been what you wanted to do, right? Yeah, I mean, all, all along, all of the events and whatnot, it wasn't really something I wanted to do. Yeah. It's more something I had to do. Yes. Right? Because in New York, you know, some kid from the Caribbean, you have, like, no big background of you're just a random kid, man. Like, no, no, no club is going to be like, okay, oh, yes, please play on the main stage, sir. That's, right. <laughs> Please, <sir. laughs> no, it's, it was like, okay, guy, like, oh, you, you're a DJ? Oh, you, you, you can, do you want to throw a show here? All right. If you want, you can put it together. So it was like really a lot of hustling in that first. Showing up like, you know, the, the, the most messed up venue possible and making something out of it, right? Francis, you got to do that. That's what happened to me yeah. when I came to Chicago. I couldn't get any house gigs, so I started throwing my own events. Like, if you can't build, if people won't give you the platform, build it yourself, right? Exactly. So that was, it's the same principle. So, yeah, I made the best out of it, just as you mentioned. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was uh, quite an experience. It's been, it's been quite a journey. And I want to fast forward to maybe, let's say, the past three to five years with your productions. I want to talk about your music. Okay. I, I love your music, and I want to ask you, of course, about this new moniker as well, but let's start with the Francis Mercier first, right? Your tracks, in my opinion, have what I think we all can understand is soul. Heart of Mine, recent release, Stereo High, Our Love, Running. You know, these are all fantastic tracks, man. There's a lot of character, the bass lines, vocals, melodies. I mean, you blend so many elements of house music together. And also different types of music, too. And I know you know that. And anytime, if someone hasn't heard your music before, you hear it right away. 
I want to know like what it was like for you from maybe when you first started defining your sound to where you're at now. What's changed in your mind and what does it look like? Um, I wouldn't say I think I wouldn't say it's it's a real change. I think it's 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 more so an understanding of the genre, right? Okay. So when I first got into the music um, and as a DJ, yeah, the the house music was really big. You know, the the Dennis Ferrers, the the Eric Morillos, these guys were at their prime. Yeah. So you had like huge records like Live Your Life by Eric Morillo or Hey Hey by Dennis Ferrer. Right. Those records, this is what defined me as an artist, as a DJ. Yeah. You know, growing up. And I think that that's really what gave me the, the foundation and the fundamental for me as a producer. And this is what I always think of, you know, the, the music has to have a human element to it. It has to have this kind of energy. So it was, I wouldn't say it, 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 it's, it's a change. It's more so, it's more so an understanding. It's, it's based on the background yeah, and on, on what defined me and the sound that, you know, was relevant and made me feel something. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was, that was really the kind of music that kind of, uh, that I grew up with the the ultra Nate records, the the big uh, th- those kind of soulful house records. Yeah. Those were really in trend in the club mm-hmm. here in New York. Yeah, in the early two thousand in the early two thousand tens. Yeah, and it was a easy progression. Obviously, there was an era where EDM was super huge. Yeah. And that was a moment where it was difficult for me to find myself as an artist because I was always against producing that. I actually could because I knew how to. The 2011, 2013 Swedish House yeah. Mafia, Alessa Avicii days. Yeah, for sure. Those, those were somewhat acceptable, the Swedish House Mafia and the, the Avicii because they were so, but I'm talking like the Dimitri Vegas and like my... The, the, ah, yes. This was like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I got you. It, it was cool, you know, to hear in the club, but I, I just couldn't get it. <laughs> As a producer, it didn't really make sense to me. I couldn't comprehend. I, I understand. I respect so, you. Yeah, so it, I wouldn't say it's a it's a progression. I'd say, like, I, I was, like, hesitant, and I was like, what's happening? It's just <laughs> not working. And, you know, and like, rewind five, six years ago, mm-hmm the market was kind of strange. The yeah. big room was kind of ending. People were starting to make future house with vocals. Yeah. That's when I really became proficient as a producer. So it, it kind of made sense, you know, to actually emerge and, and you know, uh, relive my passion, my definition, and what really I was into and implement into, into my records. So love it. that's why... You know, all my records you will see, they always have frequently have vocals. They include like real instruments, whether it's a sax, it's like a warm piano. I try to, you know, give it that kind of human element always. And soul is is definitely important for all all my compositions. Yeah, your music to me is, is very authentic. You know, it's from the heart. I feel that when I hear one of your tracks, I feel that I'm getting to know you in some way. And I do love that you always incorporate a singer. And a question I always love to ask producers like yourself is how you actually collaborate with singers. There are people that say they've never actually been in the studio with a singer. There are people that say they won't do it unless they're in the studio. What's your process like? Um, it, it, it varies, you know, it varies. I've worked with singers in the studio. Mm-hmm. 
and I've made massive records with them. Yeah. By doing that, like one of my first records called Waiting For, mm-hmm. you know, I, we, we wrote and we were working with, I was working with the singer along. I've, I've had a lot of sessions with singers in person. Mm-hmm. Those are great because you kind of, it, the product is, is, I would say is, is most desirable and there's less runs of circling around and asking, hey, can you change this? Can you change that? <laughs> but I've also, you know, worked um, with, artists that are you know abroad or elsewhere yeah you don't you don't really have the choice nowadays right right um ultimately my strategy is always to try to have like a record uh, a beat and a track yeah first and foremost yeah i I always like to have that ready Mm -hmm. just so you know the the songwriting process doesn't need to have the musical creation of the beat kind of uh, interrupting, right? Yes. So that way you could really put all your energy to just the vocals and just the songwriting. Yeah, absolutely. I love that strategy. Really just like go against the grain and figure out what works, right? Not every track is going to be the same. Not every collaboration. Yeah, it's never going to be the same. But nowadays, I, I think all of my records, I, I uh, typically the vocalist is elsewhere, yeah. rarely with me. Yeah. To have a vocalist with you is a luxury to be honest with you. And um, nowadays, you know, it's even more so difficult, obviously, with COVID, but mm. God knows when studios are going to be back open. And Yeah. I, I would say, you know, uh, successful artists are always traveling, people are in different time zones. Me yeah. as a label owner and having so much different, you know, responsibility and whatnot. Yeah. It's not easy to always make time, you know. So I like to work with... Um, independent uh, singers who are, who are, you know, go-getters and who are able to write and understand my vision, you know, and, and can kind of communicate. And I think the most important part is communication. Whether you want to be in the studio mm-hmm. or you're collaborating based on emails and phone calls, you right. have to be able to communicate and be clear. Yeah, absolutely. Challenge number one. Have, what, is, what is, I guess, you know, you, you've released so many so many tracks. I'm going to ask you about your new monocle here soon. From the France Mercier tracks, is there any that are the most special to you over the course of your releases? Uh, yeah, of course. There's, yeah. There's a, lo- a lot of records are special to me. I think um, the one that's most special to me, it's called Out of My Mind. Mm-hmm. It's not the most streamed one. Sure. But uh, it was a composition with Dean that mm-hmm. we, we, we did... Um, in the very early phase of my career, probably 2014, as a producer. And it's with a Macedonian singer from the Balkan. Her mm-hmm. name is Tanara. Mm-hmm. Just the, 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 the lyrical, you know, I, because basically that record, I really like it because I, I did all of the songwriting from the music wow. to the lyrics to the melodies of the vocals, and she, she just sang it, so... Wow, you know, composition-wise, that's really all me, um, and I, I really enjoy that one. Obviously, you know, I was with Dean; we we we, we composed together, but uh, that was a great project for me, right? Yeah, that's a, that's usually the common answer is the least streamed song. Whenever I ask, yeah. what's the one that you like the most? It's like I don't even know if people know this song anymore, right? No, but it's 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 a cool record, man. I I I remember and it, it, the way we produced it, Dean and I. It had like a, 
it was quite unique. It, it, it has the uh, the sounds of thunder, mm-hmm. sounds of rain. Yeah. It had like a crazy... Dean was able to get like a, a very talented uh, saxophonist to, to perform on the record. So the track is... It's a, it's a piece of art, man. And mm-hmm. obviously I released it like six years ago. Right. Had it been released now, I think it would make, you know... Especially with the knowledge that I've acquired as a as a label owner, now it probably make ten times more noise. Yeah, but that's a, maybe I'll do a remake of it. Hey, there you go. That's yeah. what this interview is for. I'm here to try and inspire you again. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll have to talk to the label that signed it though. Which is okay. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> well, you can cite this interview then as a as a pure inspiration. There you go. Love that, man. So you just. Release a new underground model, and, and correct me if I'm wrong with the pronunciation, Embafaya. That's correct. Listen, I said it out loud to myself earlier, and I was like, that's probably the coolest name I've ever said out of my mouth. Like, Embafaya. <laughs> like, Francis, there's something about that name. I know you probably worked a lot on it, but it's so cool, man. Like, you look at it, and you're like, what is that? And then you say it, and you're like, oh, that is dope. Yeah. So, you know what it means? No, what does it mean? It means the afterlife. Afterlife. And some, uh, and some African uh, language. I'm not sure which one I forgot. That's okay. But, um, yeah, it, it has, a, it has a, 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 an attitude to it. It sounds mm-hmm. kind of uh, different. Yeah. It's, it says it all, the definition, you know, it's, it's, it's the aftermath of, uh, of Francis. What, 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 what happens after Francis? What is there after Francis, right? Yes, I love that. And, and you've already really had a lot of success, just two releases, correct? Yeah, for now, two releases, but a bunch in the pipeline, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, the one you mentioned Eric Murillo earlier is featured on his Miami 2020 compilation. Yeah. Congratulations on that, man. That's incredible incredibly awesome like he's one of the biggest like he's still peeking to me you know for everybody that appreciates house music yeah you know eric Earl is eric Earl. That's like, uh, well said yeah there's no other way to put it <laughs> and, and tripping of course on deep root underground um which is i love that track man seriously love it like thank you man you got you got some swag with that track and i love francis tracks but i think i'm i think i might be into this more it's more like Kind of the dark side of me, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really important to to uh, the reason why I launched this uh, this uh, alias is is yeah. mainly to be able to express myself freely, you sure, know? Mm-hmm. and not not let a, you know the identity interfere in the music composition. Right. So a lot of times, you know, I find myself I want to write, I want to compose, I want to go in that direction, but I'm like, oh man. Maybe the label's not gonna like it. This doesn't right. really align with my brand. I have to go change. Nah, it's really important for me as a producer, you know, to, to be able to let the music speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it made sense. It made a lot of sense. You know, some days I want to write very dark, um, much more club stuff. That's really what I'm into. Right. Even when I'm playing, that I want to experiment in that. And you know, some days. It, there's no room for that. You know, the, the track in question, the vocal in question, asks for a, a, a commercial composition. And in, in that sense, you know, it's important not to be restricted. So it's great that I'm able to 
have both um, platforms to to compose and to let the music speak for itself and the inspiration yeah. to speak for itself. Absolutely. And you're speaking like a, a, a true artist that's kind of like in the business, right? Because there are so many producers out there, the Dead Mouses, the, you know, the uh, Claude Von Strokes, they both have aliases, right? Where they know that it's not aligned with their main brand. And for lack of a better term, it might hurt their brand if they tried to release separate types yeah. of music like that, right? I think, so, I think that happened to me. Yeah. Years. Not, I wouldn't even say hurt your brand. I think you're, not, you're jeopardizing the record as well. You're holding it back sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's even more important is you're holding back your own creativity because you don't know how far you can jump when you want to jump. Yeah, and, and I would say also something that's really important these days is consistency. Yeah. So if you make a super techno record or a tech house record that's like, wow, out of this world, and then the next day you say, okay, here's my... Uh, <laughs> melodic disco track and you release it <laughs> yeah. then it's like you, you just did minus plus you turn out at zero yeah yeah absolutely like, no point people need something that they can kind of latch on to yeah exactly so i that's why i felt you know amplifier made sense because i could like you know uh build from that because you will see a lot of compositions it's going to be like a continuation I'm excited. Have you been yeah. producing this music, say, since 2014 when you started releasing Francis Mercier? More underground music? Yeah. Have you always had this kind of in the back pocket? Yeah. I, I always I always dabbled with underground music. I never released anything. Right. Sometimes I never completed the records. Right. But in 2017, you know, I actually did an EP called the Skankers EP. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of more grungy club tech house records. Yeah. I released it under Francis, right? Right. And a few releases later, other tracks came that were just like I mentioned to you, like more commercial and whatnot. Right. So it didn't it didn't really make sense, right? Mm -hmm. So you know what? I, I was like, listen, I, I just did tripping, I have all these records. Right. I might as well just launch something fresh and and you know, create the continuity. Yeah. So, you know, that that makes more sense for me as an artist. Right. Absolutely. And, and that really leads me into my next question. I want to ask you about about Deep Root and Deep Root Underground. OK, and start. We'll start with Deep Root. Um, it's a lot more than a record label. You know, we yeah. talked about it earlier. It's Much. an event. It's a it's a brand. Right. Like you do everything. You yeah. are one of the main faces of it. And you've given opportunities to so many people, including myself. And I know so many other DJs, of course, that follow you guys, that love your music. When did the Deep Root Records idea come to you? And when did it really, like, you know, grow some limbs? Well, the day I decided to stop throwing and playing open format music, <laughs> I was born. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was quite simple. Actually, I, I met um, Ajamo through to, to Nightlife, who was my business partner. Yeah. And um, it you know, it made sense to 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 launch a label, to launch a brand. Yeah. Because first of all, both his background and my background were very business oriented. Yeah. So we he, we figured, okay, if if he's going to be my business partner and also my manager, yeah. I'm like, listen, man, we might as well just represent multiple artists because yeah, and share the knowledge. You know, it's it's really. The best way to go about it. So initially, the the Deep Records, uh, the Deep Brand, was initially just a management company. Okay. 
you know, so it was just, um, we were just managing a few artists. And it kind of evolved, you know, based on, on our respective knowledge of the of the scene here in New York yeah. and our background to throwing shows. Right. And it was very organic for the management aspect, the shows aspect to then lead into the music. Right. So one day, you know, we became like an officially a record label with a licensing department. And, and today I can probably say that the, the company has uh, has grown a whole lot and it has multiple different departments. So yeah. there, there's a music exploitation department, which entails, you know, the the public release of records, mm-hmm. so Deep Root Records, Deep Root Underground, also Win, which is another sub-label of Deep Root. And um, within that same music exploitation department, we have our whole, our whole sync and licensing department. Mm-hmm which is, um, you know, placing records in, like, movies and whatnot, right? Right. Um, in addition to the music exploitation department, we have our event planning department mm-hmm. with our Deep Root Sessions, our Deep Root Yacht, and all our shows. It's 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 quite dense. And, uh, yeah, and in the, the management aspect as well, you know, we work with some amazing artists. So I, we have, like, all of these different activities. That, that are ongoing at the label. Yeah, geez, more than more than a record label. You just explained it. <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's three sixty, and I think that's yeah. that. It 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 doesn't just come from the sky, you know. <laughs> Ultimately, like I I have like a, a a background in business. I you know I I studied mathematics, econ. You know that's really so f- coming from like a, this kind of uh, this kind of background, you know, in, in addition to Jamu as well, studying business at UVA, you know, it was it kind of made sense for us to develop the label into uh, like a brand with different di- different departments for maximum exposure and, and maximum success because. If we were just focusing just on events, yeah. Right now we'd probably be stuck with this COVID situation, right? Yeah. So that's why we, we always wanted to like not put you know all our eggs in one basket to kind of diversify. Right. And have different things going on. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know that the world was gonna go on lockdown, but you did know that there are gonna be some bumps in the road and it's important to have Yeah, different- always. And even the music, if the music doesn't work, like if the records are not selling Replacements are not coming. Right. You have the shows. Right. If the shows are not working, the places are not coming. <laughs> music is not going. You have the artists. So there are things, you know, to, to keep you to keep you active and to keep to keep moving forward. I mean, Francis, multiple streams of revenue is the name of the game, right? If you want to be successful yeah. in life and make money, you gotta figure out a few ways that it's gonna come in. Yeah, not just to make money, but also to stay relevant, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Everything, all the activities, they revolve around the concept of my willingness to create, to be able to to deliver as as a, as a, as a producer, mm-hmm. as a curator, and to provide just positive energy. Yeah, I love it. To business and so forth, right? Yeah, Absolutely. So Deep Root Records, and then you just started Deep Root Underground. Let me ask 
did you do that sort of as a platform for Envafia, or was that something you always been working on? That's it, it's it's something that we've always worked on. Okay. Um, it was always in the back of my mind. Right. Right, but um, it was always like impossible to do. Yeah. <laughs> because it entails a lot of <laughs> a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. But upon finishing the trip in record and also the artists that I'm also managing and working with. Yeah. They also have aliases and they're making all, all sorts of music. Yeah. And it kind of made sense, man, to, to launch this platform because the, the concept of continuity not only exists for a record label, not only exists for artists, but it also exists for record labels as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you have like a label that's doing all this disco tropical house and then the next yeah. day you release techno, there's a problem, you know? Yeah. So it made sense to right. kind of separate it, right? Yeah. And myself as a DJ, Francis Mercier, when I'm performing, I I, ex I experiment in different kinds of music. I never stay, obviously everything is house, but mm -hmm. I never stay in like, okay, the whole night I'm going to play disco house, the whole night I'm going to play underground, the whole night I'm going to play techno and tech house. Right. I try to like play with the mood throughout right. the night. And based on that, you know, I have like a passion and a love and an appreciation for all sorts of music. And underground music is, is humongous. It's uh, the market for the underground world is yeah. limitless. Truly. So it, it makes sense. It's underground party. And, and especially, I mean, that's an integral part of New York's nightlife and music, yeah. scene, right? I mean. More so, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, you know of Brooklyn Mirage, of the yeah. whole movement in Brooklyn mm -hmm. with all these underground parties. This is like humongous, the, the yeah. underground community. So, yeah, it made sense. It made logical to be able to create a platform where we, we don't have any limits. It's interesting how the underground is kind of, you know, for lack of a term, going overground, right? It's like house yeah. music has always been like this, you know, the type of stuff you're making. And now people are taking deeper dives into what really is below the ground, right? And it's that, it truly is that underground sound. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I think, well, to be honest with you, I think the, the fact that the the World Wide Web, the internet is so big. Yeah. This is why people are starting to realize that the underground music is relevant. Right. And I think it always existed. Right. It was just it just was just never people never knew about it. Mm -hmm. Its communication wasn't as strong. Right. But these days with the communication being exponentially bigger and like relevant. Available right here. I can yeah. Find anything right there, yeah. So everybody becomes more exposed mm -hmm. to music. This is why the house music is growing. This is why yeah. the underground sound is it's keep it changes, it morphs every two years. You have a new trend, and people are just moving at <laughs> super fast pace. It's never yeah. being stagnant. Absolutely. Yeah. Now it's interesting you said that because you guys throw a lot of different parties, right? Deep root records, like I said, it's it's more than a label. I mean, you guys have hosted events all over, club takeovers in New York City, pool parties in Miami during music, Miami Music Week. 
props to you, Francis, and how much work goes into that type of stuff, especially behind the scenes. You got a great team with you. What kind of like keeps you going with this sort of stuff? Because from someone who hosts events in Chicago, there's a lot of frustrations, right? For the small wins that sometimes come along. What do you enjoy most about it? About throwing events? Yeah, throwing events. Well, first of all, you know, it's 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 an opportunity to to give back to the fans, to to connect with them. Yeah. Beyond just here's a record release, listen to it. Right. We could actually, you know, curate the shows and, and book the artists that we that we look up to, that we appreciate. Mm-hmm. And we can give the fans an opportunity to connect with the artists. You know, that's really what 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 we're about. Because right. I think that the branded shows and all of our events, it's a uh, it's a um, it's an extension of our music. Yeah, absolutely. it's an extension of our identity. Mm-hmm. It's a way for us to really build like a real report with with our our listeners and our general fan base. Yeah. Absolutely. That is. That's what keeps us going, man. Yeah, seriously. Even if there is no revenue, even if if things are going south and everybody's coming in for free, doesn't matter. Yeah. The fact is that, you know, we create an experience. Yeah. And I think what you guys do best from, you know, the experience that I have with you is, you know, there's kind of the saying if you want to be a successful brand, a successful artist, you would rather have a thousand real fans that want to come every time than a million ones that just like your Instagram picture, right? And yeah. I felt a real sense of community when I DJed on the boat with you guys, man. Like the people that were there, the people that I was introduced to, it was like, hey, here's here's our family. And I think that's the most special part, I guess, from my understanding of what you just said, right? Yeah, exactly. That's that. This is our this is our motive, you know. This is yeah. why what keeps us going, then and day out. And that's why why we what we tried to build with uh, deep root sessions, which you haven't attended just yet. But those those are like phenomenal. I... We left off. The last one was on March fifth. That was massive. It was for for my EP release party. Uh-huh. We filmed it. It's it's. Kyle's right in. before everybody started doing live streams. Seriously, you you were right before it actually, and it was so legit. It was like boiler room vibes, man. It was so sick. Yeah, people we were like the only group like going crazy and live and live streaming parties. Yeah, and yeah, this thing hit, and now everybody, even our, our next door neighbors doing a live stream now <laughs> <laughs> yeah everybody everybody with a laptop and cdjs right? yeah exactly <laughs> but I, um the sessions you know the the shows they're they're a way to give back to a community yeah and to give also to give an, an opportunity for artists not just deep root artists but you know the the artists and the scene to express themselves you know mm-hmm. it's it's for people to discover our music to understand our vision yeah. For us to be able to offer artists a platform to perform because, you know, the label, the, the label and the company, it's made for artists. It's made yeah. by artists for artists, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. So no matter how small, big you are, we don't discriminate. You know, we like we like to work with everyone as long as they understand what, what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for a guy who's given so many opportunities to others, you certainly have had your fair share of awesome shows, Francis. I mean, when I saw you DJ at that, was extremely impressed. And, you know, from following you on social media, you played a variety of different types of sets, clubs, bars, festivals, 
in the U.S. and internationally. I mean, come on, Francis. You headlined Marquee. That is so uh, sick, man. Like, that is, like, massive. So I'm just, like, I'm honored to be talking to someone that's headlined a place like that. I've heard of Marquee New York City for six years now, right? I mean, what was that experience like for you? It was a big show, man. It was a big show. A lot of people were there. Was it my, you know, how I know you guys is my friend Nick Pappas. And he said he was there and said it was crazy, like packed. Yeah, it was like a thousand people. The, the, awesome. It was that capacity. It was a big show. I mean, to be honest with you, it was a, a great outcome. Yeah. That, that venue is like phenomenal, you know, from yeah. the lighting to, to their smoke machines to yeah. all the... The effects, the crowd there is is really cool. They really love the the, the house music and the electronic music in general. Yeah, and, you know, obviously with, with with me performing and the whole deep root team behind it, mm-hmm. a lot of people that are like into the house music actually came. So yeah, it was a great night, man. And the sound system there is like super massive. Yeah, Marquee was was a big show for me for 2019. Yeah, That's nonetheless, awesome. nonetheless, I did play the Marquee. That was before this marquee. So, oh yeah, nice. Yeah, prior, <laughs> prior to being marquee of marquee O two or two point zero of New York City, nice. there was marquee one point <laughs> and I played that one as well. That that was like an open format error. But I, I, I played. I played. You know, they actually marquee before they they relaunched. They 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 had the they held the first Avicii show ever in the in the u.s yeah really that's an extremely interesting fact i saw saw avici in 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 new york wow it was on a thursday like 2010 man really long time ago 10 years ago damn and they had to shut down and they made the whole renovations and it's you know i think they reopened in like 2016 or 2015 something like that Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was a you know phenomenal show for me. Um, yeah, only means that much. It's unfortunate that this summer is going to be shut down because I was we were we were going to schedule another show there for the summer. Yeah. I know. Well, it'll come back. They won't forget. Yeah, we're there at one point <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it will come back. That's, Absolutely. That's now, I wanted to ask you. I mean, you've you've not only, like I said, just played all these big types of events, you've shared the lineups and supported the Frankie Rosardos, the Claptones, the Gorgon Cities, just to name a few, uh, you know, some of the biggest house DJs in the world. For all these different types of events, Francis, you know, from a house DJ to a house DJ, it's not an open format set. Do you feel like you have an idea of what you want to play? Like, is there a Francis Mercier set that you like, whether it be at a bar, a club, a festival? Um... Well, t- to be honest with you, it, it depends on the day. It, okay. depends on, it depends on my mood. Yeah. <laughs> because, believe it or not, it, it first starts with me. It first starts with how I feel. Sure. And, sure. you know, I'll play, I'll play, you know, one or two records. Mm-hmm. And then from the energy that I'm getting in the crowd, then I'll adjust. Gotcha. You know, and I'll build from that. But sure. initially, I'll, I'll say, okay, the first three records, these are the ones that I'm going to play. Yeah. So I just say my playlist is like I'm gonna start with one, two, three, and then see how they respond. Yeah. And from there I take off. Yes. So okay. I, I really let the crowd feed me with energy. 
mm-hmm. I really let that kind of direct um, my, this is where I get my instincts from. Yeah. Perform. So I can't really say like there's a set I prepare for specific artists. Right. More so it depends on how I'm feeling that day mm-hmm. to, to launch and to begin getting in the groove mm-hmm. and then seeing how the people are reacting. Yeah. I love that. I think that's good advice too, for anybody that, you know, is aspiring to be someone like you, right? A question that younger DJs are always asking me to ask guys like you is how do you prepare for things like this? What do you do to really read a room? Right. And it's just experience, right? You've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you were 19 years old, 18 years old in, in Providence, Rhode Island. Right. And now years later, you finally are able to answer this question with, with, yeah, most importantly, what's really important is, you know, you have to stay, stay true to yourself. Yeah. You have to, do, you have to do, you know, this is like a selfish thing to say, but, you know, DJing is, is first and foremost, you know, you, you, you play for yourself at yeah. first. Yeah. So obviously, understand your audience, mm-hmm. know what kind of room you're playing for. Sure. But then, you know, you have to, it has to come from within. You know, you, 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 you don't want to be playing a set that somebody else would play. Mm-hmm. You really want to be able to um, have your own identity. Mm-hmm. And it, it has to be like, you have to play a set that you would want to listen to. Yes. And obviously you have to keep in mind of your audience, the style of music you're supposed to play. But when it comes to song selection, to direction, you know, to, 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 to the curation aspect of it, it has to come from within. Yeah, man, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And that's great advice, man. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's you picking the songs, right? And yeah, ultimately. And if, I mean, but you have to keep in mind, like so I played like at Kremlin in, in Lisbon mm-hmm. before, before the confinement. Yeah. It's a techno club. Yeah. Okay. So, I couldn't pull up there and start playing Heart of Mine and be like, okay, guys, <laughs> next track is running. Yeah. Obviously, you have to inform yourself, okay, you're going to play techno, tech house club. Please <laughs> have a, like three, 400 records yeah. in your entire catalog, you know, available to mix it up and to chop it up. Right. You know, that's obviously important. But, you know, you begin the night and you, you give it your own flavor and your own direction. Yep. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Now, I want to ask you something that you recently started doing. You partnered with Radio FG and Music Cares yeah. to produce live streams and raise money for those in need. Amazing cause, man. Props to you and everybody involved. When did you get involved? And tell us more about Radio FG and Music Cares. Yeah, well, Radio FG, they've been supporting my music since uh, 2018. Yeah. They really liked my uh, composition called The Whole World. Mm-hmm. I was also signed to Eric Wilder. And, you know, since I was traveling in Europe and they invited me to play for them at the radio station. And right. I nurtured the relationship for, for, for quite some time. And it was a natural progression, you know. With COVID-19, we wanted to keep the live element going. So we partnered with them. And um, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, you know, the motive of Deep Root is really to be able to connect with our fans and to stay, for it to be an outlet for our music. So right. it made natural sense to not let COVID, you know, stop our mission as yeah. a label, which is to let the fans experience our music mm-hmm. 
and a live format. So we, we figured, you know, the best thing to do is to try and organize live streams. And, you know, the, the radio was fully open to it. And um, we also figured that uh, we, we as a label should, this is our responsibility to support artists and the industry. So it made sense to transform it into like, to add the, the fundraiser element to it. Yeah. Um, so we launched it uh, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. So far, we've had about uh, 15 artists perform. Mm-hmm. We have 25 more scheduled. Wow. Yeah, so it's a big lineup, and more is getting added by the day. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, so far, it's been going good. I mean, I think we raised like $750. Uh, we've sent you know, half of it to, to Music Cares, mm-hmm. which is a great organization. Mm-hmm. And the other half, we've sent it to peers that have applied on their website. Love that. Who have been heavily affected, agents, DJs, and whatnot. So if anybody wants to get more information, they could go to deeprootrecords.com forward slash united by music. Love that. I love that. And that truly really is a noble cause, you know, from one person to another and one creative to another. We all thank you for doing things like that, Francis. That's awesome. Of course. My pleasure, man. Yeah, absolutely. Now, kind of on that topic and to round it out, obviously. I wanted to do this interview in person this summer with you, but we're not sure if that's going to happen. So we wanted to, we wanted to make this, you know, important, but we're all kind of locked down. Where do you think the future of the music industry is going to go with kind of this, let's just say, taking a break on the bench? Do you think it's going to strive more creativity? Is it going to stir more ingenuity? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, creativity, 100%. I mean, I myself have like... (laughs) 10 records, I don't know, man. I can't even <laughs> done sitting there just, yeah. So more records will get done. Yeah. The, the music scene, you know, for the electronic music, I think um, live streaming is going to be more and more important. Yeah. You know, the, the, the performances just to keep from abroad, you know, from, from away will be more and more, more and more important over the yeah. next few months. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, you know, 2021, we'll see like an opening of, of, of nightclubs and big festivals. Yeah. But I don't know what the future holds. Um, we can only stay positive, but I, I can tell you that it's important for artists not to let this kind of uh, discourage them. It's important for the artists to continue producing mm-hmm. because, you know, anything more so the music is becoming more and more important like mm-hmm. for for the fans to stay connected, to get some good vibes, you know, it's really, we have to do our part as artists, not to let, you know, uh, COVID get the best of us and for us to completely shut down. It's not because there's a, you know, imposed confinement that music ends. Yeah. So would your advice to be people, to people that are sitting on tracks right now to release? Because as a DJ, you release music so that other DJs play it at clubs and bars and festivals, right? Yeah, I, I my advice is to release, still release, yeah. still release. Yeah. Don't I don't think you need to release everything like because there's confinement. Just continue with standard release schedule. Yeah. And um, try and stay positive, you know. And I would say try and write for the moment as well. I don't think it's best to release 
uh, club bangers in the middle of this climate, uh, <laughs> maybe look to produce different kinds of music. Yeah, that has a purpose, you know. But obviously, people will find a purpose for any kind of music at this point. People right. are holding like Zoom parties these days, so <laughs> it is what it is. But from my perspective, I would say. Um, Releasing is is always a good idea. Yeah. The streams, the streams. People are listening to music, you know. The yeah. People, people are working out. They're listening. Like myself, I'm about to go on a run right now. You're gonna listen. I, to I, play, play. I might play the sorted. Yeah, you do. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's always it's always music. I love that, Francis. It's been so great hearing your story from really beginning to where you're at now. And I want to thank you for sharing, and I want to acknowledge you for all your success as well. I've got a lot of respect for you, your music, your brand, all the artists you support. It's because of people like you why, you know, we're all able to continue doing this. So thank, thank you. Thank you, man. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. I wanted to ask, is there anything else for the rest of the year to promote? Where can we keep up with you on social media? All that good stuff. Uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, all, all artists have the obligation to... We are obligated, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, man, if there was no social media, would you use it? If there was no social media, if it wasn't like as important? Yeah. No, I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't either. People don't believe that. And I, I just, I'm, I, it's like a means to an end. And there are some aspects I like, but there are so many. And I'm just like, this isn't real. No, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I think it can, it, it, it's a vicious cycle. You know, it can affect yeah. your creativity and your productivity heavily. So for me, you know, social media, it, it has its pros and its cons. Yeah. But the big picture, if I had the choice, I wouldn't be too big on that platform. But I'm saying this now. Yeah. However, 10 years ago, this was a different story. You know, 10 yeah. years ago, it was, I was the life of the party. I wanted to be in touch with everyone. So <laughs> it, everything matters. And it's a, it's a matter of perspective. And yeah. And, time framing the purpose also you know and it everything is contingent on, on what you're trying to do at this specific moment mm-hmm. like if i'm uh in party mode obviously everybody loves social media <laughs> right. be in the studio this is the the, the worst get that shit out of here exactly you have to like completely disconnect yeah but if you're like I don't know, on the road and you want to link up with fans and, right, you know, the social media is the best invention that was ever created. That's true. It's the definition of a double-edged sword to me, so I agree yeah. with you. I mean, think about it. If it wasn't for social media, a lot of people wouldn't have discovered the house music and the shows and the energy and all of what's going on and whatnot, right? Right. So probably even, like, covid Mm-hmm. Thanks to social media, those who don't watch the news but are on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Yeah, you're right, hundred percent. Some people they, they probably don't even have a clue of what's going on. They just like suddenly start seeing their friends with like masks. They're like, what's going on? And they yeah, start right? the information. Don't, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and we figure out we figure out the world through memes these days. No, but I'm being serious. It's true. It's kind of I messed mean, up, but it's true. This is kind of crazy, but yeah. I didn't know that there was a virus up until probably end of February, man. Yeah. 
just, which is know, insane. Insane. Because I was in Europe, okay? I was in Portugal, I was in France, and I'm like, why are people wearing masks in the plane? What's happening? <laughs> Walking in the plane from from playing all these shows, and I'm like completely beat up, and I'm like, right. oh, man, why is there these people? What are these people? What's going on? <laughs> Until later, I realized that this was like something ongoing, that there was like an issue in, in Asia. Yeah. I didn't have a clue about what was going on. It's crazy. I know. And, and when it came to the U.S., it was like the next day. It's like, hey, world shut down, by the way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, but even even when they say, okay, world, everything is shut down, a lot of people, it, it's thanks to social media that they can see that. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Very- even, even to be honest with you, it's not even because social media is that important. It's also because the, the news is just like mm-hmm. you know here in the u.s to be able to get actual relevant information <laughs> that that's a mission of its own <laughs> I, if you find out a way to make it possible you let me know <laughs> no it's I, I don't watch you american news man yeah i watch a french news french news yeah no, I'm, i watch french news to get information on what's happening in the u.s I believe that, man. I don't even know what to watch anymore because everybody's got an opinion. Yeah, it's like... Give me fact. It, that's it. Just give me facts with no suggested opinion. And yeah. This is not politics, guys. Can I just get information? Yes. I want to just turn on and just give me information and I turn off and bye-bye. Let me make my own decision. Around. This doesn't exist here, man. Oh, my gosh. Well... At least when we look back on this, we had a good laugh, right? Yeah, but still. Everybody's got to be safe. I know. I, either, either watch French news or, or watch uh, Al Jazeera, <laughs> the Arab news or something, man. Send me a link for French news because I, yeah. I need a refreshment. You you will watch it. It's called France 24. Just go France? on Google. Okay. I will text you right now. Yeah, I actually, I got, I always bring a pen yeah. to these interviews because uh, I learned something. France, France 24. I'm on it. France 24, you put it on Google and then press play live. And it's, it's actually in English. Yeah. But it's like, because it's for the world, but it's a French channel. Okay. And they talk about everything. They obviously cover things in the U.S. And I'm going to make it a point, and I've made it a point to watch this news channel yeah. every dinner. From here till perpetuity. Yeah. <laughs> Next time there's a virus, I will know in advance. When it's yeah. in Asia or somewhere else, I will be connected. No, I'm being serious, man. I love that. Yeah. Hey. Do this. Nobody knows. Like, there's a, a, a virus in Asia. Did you know in February? We had no clue. <laughs> We're like, oh, yeah, let's buy tickets to Ultra. We're going to Ultra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Gosh, I was supposed to go to Miami this year for the first time, too. I was going to link up with you guys. That's what I'm trying to tell you, man. You're right. If we were like, you know, if the news was doing its job of providing information of relevance, like <laughs> instead of giving opinions, yeah, we'd know. And we probably wouldn't buy our ticket to. We'd be like, yo, bro, something is happening. Like, <laughs> I watched for last night. Yeah, it's not going down. <laughs> yeah, so I, this may be conspiracy ter- theory, but I don't know, man. I the news, the news, the media in the U.S. can't be trusted. Man. Yeah, 
I think everyone's starting to agree on that. That might be the one thing we all agree on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good one, Jim. I love that. All right, brother. I'm going to go running now. So yeah, man. Late up into your run. Uh, it was such a pleasure to catch up, man. Um, again, genuinely have so much respect for you and everything you do. Um, I'm a huge fan of everything you guys are doing in New York City, too. It's such a competitive environment, but you guys are truly unique. So props to you, man. And we'll talk again soon, okay? Thank you, brother. <laughs>